Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. So nice to see you all. It's great to be here with you all. Everybody. Nice to see you. We just finished a session. Of course, we finished last Sunday, but the nature of session, session is the word we use for multiple days of practicing together, sitting and walking and working and having meetings with teachers. That's the word we use for that kind of intensive gathering, session. It means to gather the mind. So sometimes we call it retreat because in our world, when we say session, it means you have to give a long definition every time we use that word. So, <laughs> so we just finished a, a, a very important gathering of the mind event where we practice together intensively, mostly in silence. It's also called retreat. <laughs> but it wasn't a retreat, was it? It wasn't really a retreat. It's a diving in. You're not going backwards, you're, you're diving in. So we just finished a diving in. And our teacher who came to lead it, our founder of Tension, Rev. Anderson Roshi, came. He loves to come to, to Houston, to our group, and lead us. This time he focused on compassion. So all the teachings were on compassion. And some of you weren't there in person, but I assure you the benefit is meant for you equally. So... Those of us who were there are still coursing in those teachings. It's like being on a boat. You get off the boat, you're still kind of walking back. So we're still on that boat. And those of you who weren't there are getting a benefit. We're still shaking the earth in the ways that we were shaking. Compassion. It's all we heard about. And it was beautiful. There's somebody who wants to join us. Thank you, teacher. See, you don't lose your powers of observation. <laughs> so we focused on compassion, but where we were practicing is on the land north of here, not north of here, west of here, that we are now taking care of, that we received pretty much as a gift. We're taking care of it, and we're continuing the building of the sanctuary. So we, st we started our sanctuary building here, Right here. All of us together have been building this sanctuary, establishing this important refuge. And then we're continuing our work on this other land. Of course, the sanctuary we are building has no boundaries. It goes everywhere. It's here, it's there, it's everywhere. But we're focusing our efforts on here and also on the, the land out there in the West. Out there, that's west, slightly north. And compassion was our our theme, our main focus. Compassion and zazen. So zazen is sitting in silence. It sometimes is called meditation, but it has a different kind of flavor in Zen. So zazen means the sitting together, sitting in silence and upright. Um, and part of the reason we have established the sanctuary, an additional sanctuary, is because it doesn't happen anywhere. 
but zazen in the city and zazen in remote country is a little bit different in flavor for your first 30 or 40 years of practice. And they say after that, you can practice anywhere. We can all practice anywhere, but still, it's a little bit different. And Rev Tenshin Roshi, also Rev Anderson, uh, referred to a great teacher called Muso Soseki during this retreat. And Muso Soseki, his name means dream window, is a great, so we have a Muso right here. <laughs> Your cousin. Um, was a great teacher who is also uh, famous for, well known for his devotion to sitting in silence in hermitages. So he spent a lot of his time practicing in hermitages, but then he would be called back into city life because he was uh, able to explain complicated teachings. So he'd be called back, and then he ended up establishing temples, building sanctuaries. And uh, the first one that he has, well, first I want to tell you about the biggest one he established, which is famous to this day, and a number of us visited it. So some of you in this room were there, and some of us in that room were there. We went to visit Muso Soseki's very famous temple in outside well, in Kyoto, really, called Tenryuji. The Tenryuji is amazing. It's Ten is heaven, Ryu is dragon, so it's heavenly dragon temple. And Muso Soseki was asked by the emperor to establish that in honor of another emperor who had just died. In Japan, it's complicated history, but there could be several emperors at once. We're kind of used to the Western concept of one emperor, but in Japan, you have a few, sort of like the principle. You have several principles in the same country. So he went and established this temple, and around the temple, he built beautiful gardens. Do you remember the gardens of Tenryuji? And our friend, uh, Yuho Tom Kirchner, who gave us the tour of these gardens and of the temple, uh, is the same person who translated this book. So, 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 it's Dialogues in the Green, which I recommend. But these dialogues are also important because they are his dialogues with the emperor. So, even though he was a hermit practitioner for maybe the majority of his life, came into contact with people and was able to explain really complicated things, and emperors loved him. So this is a record of his dialogues with one of the very famous emperors called Ashikaga. And he didn't pull any punches. He didn't make it easy for the emperor to understand. He just talked about Zazen and compassion and the nature of reality and so on. And Reb Tenshin Roshi, during the uh, course of these teachings on compassion, referred to Musou's teaching on compassion, three kinds of compassion. Remember that? Those of you who are at the retreat? Three kinds of compassion. And they are, first kind that he told the emperor about is sentimental compassion, he called it. 
but it's the compassion that comes from believing in the existence of other beings. So it's going to be hard. This is Zen. This is really hardcore Zen teachings right here. Sentimental compassion is the kind of compassion that springs forth when you want to help beings and you attribute substantial existence to them. And it's very uh, tiring because you're operating in a dualistic realm of helping other beings. <coughs> and this is where, this is an ordinary, this is normal. This is not a bad place to be. But the second kind of compassion is where it's the compassion of the Dharma. It's the compassion of recognizing the insubstantiality of beings. And some of you may find this kind of challenging that it doesn't regard that this kind of compassion is able to function in a way that doesn't see substantiality of beings. But this morning we chanted that. We chant this all the time in the Heart Sutra when we're trying to soften our idea of substantiality. And this morning I was thinking as we were chanting, oh, it's so beautiful. We're chanting this amazingly difficult concept, but we're doing it so beautifully. We're saying there are no substantial beings to help. We say it throughout the Heart Sutra. Did you notice the sameness? That's what we're saying. We're talking about Mahayana compassion. We say all dharmas are marked by emptiness. All dharmas are marked by emptiness. They neither arise nor cease, are neither defiled nor pure, neither increase nor decrease. Therefore, given emptiness, there are no eyes, no ears, no nose, meaning no people, no people who need your help, no people who can help you, no darkness. That's what the Heart Sutra has us chant over and over. And we go through it very merrily, and then we get back to helping each other. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So, if we, the point of chanting this over and over, perhaps, say one of the points of chanting this over and over is to soften our ability to move in that territory. So we're able to help beings and recognize our own attribution of substantiality to them. And we also pull back into the Dharma world of they aren't substantial. They're far more mysterious. This reality that I'm seeing is far more mysterious than I think it is. The boundaries around these dharmas that I perceive are much softer and more um, difficult to see than I'm thinking. We give them names for convenience, but it's way more mysterious than you know, that's what we say. That's the second kind of to be in the realm of the Mahayana, calls that Mahayana, <coughs> Muso calls that Mahayana compassion. The third kind of compassion is where it's just, it, Rev would say, it's just sadhana. It's just the flow of compassion in a non-substantial world. So as Rev would say, that's the, that's the gaze of Avalokiteshvara Kano looking at us. With total compassion and complete wisdom able to see the insubstantiality of dharmas and still the compassion is flowing. So Muso Soseki was very clear about that. His teachings and his dialogue with the emperor took place about 100 years after Dogen. 
wrote Shogunzo, um, but uh, he never refers to Dogen. I kept looking. Aren't you going to say something about our guy Dogen? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Muso is definitely in the Rinzai Zen tradition, um, which is basically the dominant tradition in Kyoto. As we notice, there are very few Soto Zen temples. Renzai lineage really fills all the big temples in Kyoto, and they're beautiful. And they're all devoted to waking up. They're all devoted to waking up to this third kind of compassion. So, and yet, aware as he was, and so of these, the interplay of compassion, of first kind, what is it? It's sentimental. And what's, what does it consist of? Desire to help. What else does it consist of? Thinking that <clears throat> beings are substantial, that they're substantial beings. So you're right, Amy, it does consist of, it does include the desire to help people, but all three include the desire to help people. That's the fundamental Tao, all bodhisattvas, the desire to help. And then the first one sees people as substantial beings. Second kind, which is Mahayana compassion, sees insubstantiality everywhere. And the only problem with it, or probably <coughs> the limitation of it, is to cling to the idea of insubstantiality, which could then make bodhisattvas a little removed. Oh, they're all insubstantial. Their suffering is also insubstantial. Go in peace, my child. <laughs> the third kind, which is boundless, ultimate compassion, has no boundaries, has no particular form, takes any form necessary. So this is Lotus Sutra kind of compassion. This is ultimate compassion. So it can look like conventional compassion, and it can look like Mahayana compassion, but it's, it's just not fooled. So that's Muso Soseki's definition of three kinds of compassion for the benefit of the emperor. So he was quite skilled in this kind of discussion and his teachings and able to move in this territory. Why did he build gardens? Why did he go around building gardens? Why was he concerned with this effort that we also are concerned with? building sanctuaries, establishing places for people to go, making it beautiful. And the emperor asked him, so why do you build these beautiful places? And he said, he said something really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, darn. I'll find it later. He basically said he builds them to um, clarify his own mind. He also, a, few, a little while ago, I talked about, a little while ago, not today, previous lifetime, up here, I talked about this building of sanctuary 
and uh, Nanyang, who's a very famous Zen teacher. Can you hear? We can't hear? Nobody can hear. Does that help? Apparently it's not on. I'm so sorry. It's it's funny here, I think. It's funny. I think I need to hear it. Can you hear it? Apparently that isn't on. I'll talk more loudly. How's that? Okay. Okay. So I talked about this um, great teacher named Nanyang, and he was important in from one of the same qualities. <laughs> he was important for one of the same kind of practices, and he was a, a hundred years or so before Muso. He also went back and forth from um, urban to, to rural settings, and he definitely preferred rural settings. So the emperors basically had to order him to come into town. And finally, after many, many decades of living in the wilderness and coming back and forth, he, like Musso, realized there is no distinction between practicing in remote places and practicing in the city. And they taught that many times. <coughs> so then, Nanyang was getting ready to die. And the emperor, this is not Musso, this is the one he admired and quoted. He, uh, Nanyang was had moved, left behind his beautiful remote location and was in an urban setting called Houston, Texas. <laughs> Similar, you know. The urban settings back then were just bustly and full of carriages and loud and screaming and smells, all kinds of smells. So urban settings at that time were just as much an assault on the senses as, as Houston. Just a different kind of assault. And the feeling of crowdedness, there may have been fewer people, but the feeling of crowdedness would have been the same. So he was living in the urban environment in order to benefit the emperor. And he got very old, and it was time to die. And so the emperor said, what kind of monument can I build for you? And monuments were typically built for venerable people back then, so... The emperor said, what kind of monument can I build for you? Besides, it's almost your 100th birthday. But Nanyang knew that it was going to be this, the monument for his death. And Nanyang said, build me a seamless monument. And I think when I talked about it before, I stopped at that point. But there is an additional part to the, to the dialogue. The emperor said, I don't understand. So this is kind of the bravery of these old Zen teachers and the um, trust that the emperors had in them. They didn't necessarily uh, cater to the emperors. The emperor said, I didn't understand. They didn't necessarily make it easy. So this is what, Nan, what uh, Nanyang said. The emperor said, what kind of monument? Nanyang said, build me a seamless tower. The emperor said, tell me, what would the monument look like? Nanyang was silent for a long time, sitting there with the emperor. 
After a while, Nanyang said to Nefer, do you understand? Nefer said, I don't understand. I really don't understand. Not that Zen thing, I don't understand. It's really, I don't understand. <laughs> so Nanyang said, I have a successor, Don Yuan, who knows all about this. Please summon her and ask. So after the national teacher passed away, it's time to build the monument. And the emperor summoned Don Yuan and asked her the meaning of the master's statement. What do you mean building this seamless monument? Don Yuan said, this is her answer. South of Zhang, north of Tang. In between, gold fills the entire land. Beneath the shadowless tree, fairy boats. In the crystal palace, there is no knowing. That's what you <laughs> So a seamless tower and this beautiful language, that's how they explained this sanctuary. Okay? So a little later, like 100 years later, when Musa was called by an emperor to build his first temple, this wasn't Tenryuji. Tenryuji, famous dragon, dragon, heavenly dragon temple, happened a little later. His first one was called Sakoji, which is incredibly beautiful. And it has these moss-covered hills and various pavilions and things like that. So he built something, a sanctuary. And do you remember what Nanyuan, Nanyuan said? She said, uh, what would the seamless tower look like? She said, south of Jiang, north of Tang, in between gold fills the entire land. Beneath the shadowless tree, fairy boats. In the crystal palace, there is no known. So when Musso built his, his first garden, Saihoji, he named one of the pavilions north of Tang. He named another pavilion south of Jiang. In reference to that word, gold fills the entire land, he built a pond called Golden Pond. And on top of one of the buildings was a crystal spire that he called the Seamless Tower. So this is our practice way. You know, beautiful garden he built, water courses, trees, white sand beaches, pine-studded islands, and it's a well-known destination for everyone who feels something of the wilderness on this land. He gave it the names of the seamless tower. So we're in one, these are this is our mind. This is this for me, this is really a helpful exercise. This is our mind. Our mind finds it, most of us, because we're ordinary human beings, as we should be. Um, our mind finds it really easy to understand naming things and building things. And so when we're out there, or when we're here taking care of our temple, or out there building our sanctuary, it's easy for us to build that. But it will tire us out if we forget its true nature. And we'll get resentful. And we'll feel various things. Like we were out there on Friday, Royce and me and Mark and, um, and Bo and Joe, uh, uncovering the lids to all the septic tanks. Oh, it was so fun. <laughs> the golden pond. <laughs> <laughs> the south of Jane, 
it was the crystal tower. <laughs> so if we if we if we can hold the uh, ultimate reality of what we're doing, we just are frolicking in a playground with bodhisattvas. If we stick to either one, the um, the substantiality, oh, this is a bunch of property, it needs to be fixed, it's in bad repair, blah, 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 blah. It's beautiful, it's not in bad repair, all those are, those are that's the substantial world. The next level is, oh, it's all fine. People will come and enjoy it. Oh, there was no heat in the, in the house that the women were living. No problem. It was a problem. We fixed it. But if you stay in the Mahayana, you don't attend to people's description of their suffering. You have, you have to attend. And then, finally, there's that third realm of compassion, which is the reason why we go there at Zazen. It's the support for Zazen. Zazen is the support for it. It is the support for Zazen. They're absolutely inseparable. So that's what we're doing out there. And I, I wanted to read the poem again for, from the uh, poem about putting a blade of grass in the ground to build the sanctuary because all of us are putting in that blade of grass. So whatever we're doing is helping to build the sanctuary. Sitting here is helping to build the sanctuary. Digging out and uncovering the septic tanks is helping to build the sanctuary. They're not even the balance, don't you think, Grace? <laughs> <laughs> In the poem that celebrates that blade of grass, uh, the one who says, The boundless spring on a hundred plants, picking up what comes to hand, he uses it knowingly. A 16 foot tall golden body, a collection of virtuous qualities, casually leads him by the hand into the red dust. So, this is the Buddha. Casually leading you by the hand back into the red dust. Come on back into the red dust. Able to be master in the dusts from outside crea creation, a guest shows up. Everywhere life is sufficient in its way, no matter if one is not as clever as others. So, this is what we're up to these days. Exploring compassion and um, exploring and willing to occupy all three kinds of compassion. We're not trying to get away from sentimental compassion. We just are trying to open our eyes and see it like it is. See everything like it is. Okay.